Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes and a link to join our private Facebook community at bloggingbistro.com. Our topic of the day is shaping a reader-first mindset. And you've heard me talk several times, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, about putting your reader first, knowing who your ideal target reader is, and writing directly for them. Today, we have with us a special guest, Samantha Haney, who is here to give us some great tips for how to shape that reader-first mindset. Welcome, Samantha, to the podcast. Hi, Laura. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you, Samantha. You are a freelance editor and writer. And since 2015, you have authored four books and you've also edited and written more than 100 articles and posts for clients in the mental health, Christian living, and lifestyle industry. So it sounds like you have a rather diverse business model going. Would you yes. agree with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've also copy edited for The Odyssey Online, and you're currently copy editing for a local publishing house. You've taught creative writing and literature for homeschool high schoolers. Homeschool high schoolers, that's kind of a tongue twister. A little bit, yes. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. I used to teach high school, public high school, not homeschool high school. Captive audience with homeschoolers, right? It was. It was a lot of fun. And I was blessed to have a group of writers that really wanted to be there. And they really did want to work on their writing skills. And it was a super fun job. When you can say that about your job, especially when it's a teaching job, working with high school students, because they are a challenging audience. Yes. Yeah. That is really saying something. Yeah. I will include the link to Samantha's website in the show notes, but you can find out more about her at mrshanny.com. That's M-R-S-H-A-N-N-I.com. And you'll find a direct link to that in the show notes over at bloggingbistro.com. Before we dive in, Samantha, to talking about shaping that reader first mindset, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about this three book bloom devotional series that you wrote, because it it just fascinated me when I visited your website. So I want to find out more about that. You call these fresh devotions for girls. What age girl are your books targeted to? This Bloom series is for preteen girls. So kind of hitting that nine to 13, nine to 14 range this was one of the first projects I started working on when I left my office job and started doing writing and freelancing. I originally wrote it as a one-year book of devotions. I have such fond memories of starting off on developing my own quiet time when I was that age and how that just helped me build really healthy rhythms and growing my relationship with the Lord. And at the time I was teaching dance, I taught dance for almost a decade and was working with this age a whole lot and also doing some tutoring and mentoring through our church. And so I just was around this age of girls a lot. And it was that phase when, man, some weeks they'd be on super, you know, on a super high and excited about life. And then the next week, you know, a friend looked at them wrong and it was just down in the dumps. And we all have fond quote unquote, fond memories of junior high. And I just felt like there wasn't a lot for that age. There was a lot actually for younger girls and then a lot for high schoolers. But for that, those crucial years, 
I wasn't seeing a lot. In fact, I was actually seeing some of the same devotional materials that were around when I was that age and there hadn't oh. been. So I was like, well, that, that's been a hot minute. Let's get some new stuff going. So I originally wrote a one-year book of devotions. And then as I was evaluating my publishing options, I ended up going with self-publishing and the size of that book was not going to be the direction I wanted to go. And so I started looking at how I could split it up. And as I looked at my outline again, I realized it would split really nicely into three books. And the reason it is called Bloom is because each topic kind of opens a little bit more like a flower. The first book focuses on a girl's relationship with the Lord and developing that understanding of who he is and who she is in Christ. And then the next book opens up a little bit more, so to speak, with how can they build healthy relationships with their friends and family. And the third book is the final opening of the flower of what is my role in my community? How can I already be serving in church? How can I already be a witness in my school or on different sports teams or different organizations. And so it was really cool to see how I was going one direction with the book and the Lord redirected me and it ended up even better. Thank you for sharing that. And I love the way that you are tying in the visual image of Bloom with the way that you broke up the three books. So you said a relationship with God is the first book and then with friends and family is the second book and with community is the third book. And that's fantastic. Because also just in thinking about who your ideal reader is for that book, you said a girl or boy aged nine to 13, right? Yeah, mainly for girls, but yeah. 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 I'm just guessing that they might have a fairly short attention span. (laughs) So giving them a a giant whopping 5,000 page book or whatever would Would, probably not be in their best interest, but they could certainly handle a three book series, short devotionals. And it's great if they do it on their own or if a parent wants to walk through them, I've had churches and other small groups do it with it's great for doing with a whole class they're each 90 days you can kind of pick and choose or easy to break up in a small group setting the other thing that you did with either portions of that series or the entire series, I'm, you can fill me in on how that worked, was you adapted some of those devotions into five plans that are on the Version Bible app that has a combined 150,000 plus subscribers. And I'm thinking those are subscribers just to your five plans. Is yes. that correct? Yep. How did you go about doing <laughs> that? Did you use the whole book or did you take portions from the three books? So it is portions from all three books. It's just kind of the the high level highlights from, from book one, book two, and book three. There, I believe each plan is seven days because there are plans for each of the books. And then I have a Christmas one for families. And that was actually part of that original draft, you know, I mentioned that I had originally wrote it as one year. And so I had seasonal content in that first draft, which I took out when I was actually dividing everything up into books one, two, and three, but I still had this extra seasonal content and I was able to repurpose it for Christmas plan for families. And then there's an Easter one on there and that that's actually all new content for from this year. But I did take from each book and just do that 30,000 view from the content. Do you submit to them and they say yes or no, like a traditional publishing house might work? Or do you like pay for it yourself? Is it volunteer? Do they pay you? How does that work? (laughs) um, I, one of the authors that I actually had edited her book 
I guess this has been a couple years now, she happened to have actually a personal connection with someone that worked there. Those offices are actually headquartered in the same city where I live. And so she happened to know someone and offered to connect me. And I just pitched them my idea and it happened to fit what they were able to accept at that time. And once I did submit those, I've been able to just continue to submit plans. That just kind of worked out with that with that timing and with that connection. I would imagine that they probably had some very specific guidelines that they wanted yes. you to follow about how the plan should look. Yeah, they have a really great partner. I think they call it the, their partner portal of the interface of just uploading it. And then you click to add each day and click to add the scriptures. It's really user-friendly and very clear of how they, how they want it done. And then it goes through a review process once I submit it. And so they can make changes on their end, make sure everything's ship shape, and then it gets pushed live on, on their end. Now, I know that when you do some freelance writing gigs for some magazines, newspapers, and online publications, such as the Version Bible app, that they do not pay you. That's correct. It's not paid, which I appreciate because obviously the goal is getting people into God's word and getting mm-hmm. them to connect. If you are one of their partners, you have there's just one spot where you can put your website and then people can go there if they wish. But yeah, it's unpaid. And I just get to happy to share that content on, on there for free, of course. So if I wanted to find you on the Version Bible app, which I do have installed on my <laughs> phone, would I just log into my app and then put your name in there and it would show me your plans? You can search by Bloom, I believe. Bloom. Fresh devotionals for girls, and that should pull up the plans. All right. What I'm going to ask you to do here on the air is to email me <laughs> the links to those plans. Yes, and I'll put them yeah. in the show notes. And that way, people who are listening, if they want to check out your plans or their teenage child, uh, to yes. check out your plans that they can they'll have those available at their fingertips direct from the author. Absolutely. Well, I think it's really neat though that even though it's not a paid gig, when you're talking about having 150,000 plus subscribers to your plans, that is an amazing way of building your readership and also spreading God's word and distributing your writing to a much wider audience than you might have the opportunity to do otherwise. It's been neat. I've, I've gotten emails from a, a church in Canada that was using it for their small group and all over the country. And that's been really encouraging to see how God can, God can use that. Let's pivot a little bit, and we're going to continue talking about audience and reaching your audience, because one of the points that you remind your author clients of a lot is reader first, reader first. So what exactly do you mean, Samantha, by reader first? When I say reader first, it's thinking about their experiences, they're picking up your book. There's so much content. You are fighting for someone's attention in this day and age. That is not an easy thing. Also, writing a book is not an easy thing. And I feel like authors, and I, when I say that, I'm myself included, since I've been through that process before, I think you should do all that you can to provide your reader with a great experience and give them as few reasons as possible to put down your book. Because remember, there's a lot of other options for them to pick up something else and be entertained. So if they have chosen to pick up your material, you want to have done all the, the legwork beforehand so that they can stay engaged, that they're not confused, that they're not scratching their heads over a word or a phrase. All the things that go into creating that reader experience and not making the book about you, but about them. 
I was looking at your blog yesterday as I was preparing for our interview today. You wrote a, a two-part series on your blog about this same topic that we're talking about today. So again, I will include the links to Samantha's blog posts in the show notes over at bloggingbistro.com so you can read those full posts if you'd like. But one of the things you talked about was when thinking about your reader and who that person might be, you invited us to envision hosting a festive dinner party in our home. <laughs> Assuming that, you know, there was no pandemic and we could go back right. to doing the festive dinner party. Right. Home. Take so me tell back. Tell us a little bit about how that relates to putting your reader first. It came to me as I was working on a manuscript, I think it was last year, and it, it kind of felt like the author just jumped straight into this really heavy topic. And I kind of had whiplash myself from, we just started the book and then now we're already diving in. And it, it did make me start to think about a party. And so when you are hosting a party, you put a lot of effort into who are you going to invite? What's the purpose? You're checking for their maybe different dietary needs or allergies. And when you finally, you know, have all the preparations in place, it's the day of the party, people start coming, you, everyone kind of eases in, you take their coats, you take their purses, there's mingling, maybe snacking on appetizers, you're filling up cups for their drinks, and then you sit down to the main course. And so there's that whole process of inviting them in, helping them feel comfortable, helping them feel engaged before you present that main course. And I think that's helpful for our authors to think about of you are inviting your readers to a table. How are you setting that table? How are you creating that party experience, that gathering experience? And I started using that example in the comments of, of the one manuscript, and I just kind of have built on it from there because it's been helpful for me to think through it that way. And I, I hope it'll be helpful for, for other authors to think through that same example. So we're inviting our readers to the table, and you are going to walk us through three questions that we can ask ourselves yes. as we're inviting those readers to the table so that we can begin shaping that reader-first mindset. So what's the first question we can ask in order to shape that mindset? Before you've really started writing whatever manuscript you feel is is on your heart and on your mind, you need to clarify what are your publishing goals. I've worked with some authors that just have something that's special to them, special to their family, and they just want to have it in book form just to be able to hand out to a few friends and family. They don't really have aspirations of a whole marketing plan and spreading it all, all across their state or country or, or what have you. So they, they just want to have something that they can share and pass on in their family. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Others may choose to go, uh, whether it's traditional publishing or self-publishing, those are different tracks, different needs, different approaches. Um, my experience is with self-publishing or with indie publishing. So if you're going that direction, you already have to start writing that book with the plan in mind of how are you going to market this? You have a lot of legwork ahead of you. There's a lot of freedom uh, with self-publishing or with indie publishing, but that means that there's a lot of that hard work that's going to fall under, under your name as well. I work on the marketing end of things with authors. And so I will oftentimes hear from authors who say, I have a book coming out in three weeks. When should I start marketing it? I'm like, yeah. uh, three years ago. <laughs> right, right. And even though there are so many options and so many avenues available in the indie publishing space right now, which is great, sometimes those options can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it is important to get super focused at the beginning of the project. And I know that's hard sometimes, right? Because you've often... You know, sometimes maybe you've been thinking about a book 
for a long time. It's just been rattling around in your mind for years, or, or maybe an experience has happened more recently and you feel very compelled to write and you just feel like you have to get out on the paper and that can feel maybe spur of the moment. That's why it's it's important to spend at least a little bit of time thinking about what are my actual goals before you start writing. If they don't clarify that, they can be expecting the wrong results or, or different results from the goal that they've actually set. Perhaps they've written a book that's in the vein of the this is just for friends and family to be, to be passed down, but then they might be expecting it to have a further reach when that kind of wasn't the goal to begin with. To recap, question number one is, what is the first question we should ask ourselves when shaping a reader first mindset is to ask yourself, what are my publishing goals? Do I want to publish just to publish, just to get it out there? Or do I want to pursue traditional publishing? Do I want to try to get a literary agent? Am I going to forge a path with self-publishing, with indie publishing? So know what type of publishing you want to pursue and then set some specific goals for step one, step two, step three, how you're going to work through that process and how you are going to write with your reader in mind, depending on what that final goal is that you hope to achieve. What is the second question that we should ask ourselves when we're shaping that reader first mindset? Uh, the second one that comes to mind is really kind of what everything else hinges on is, well, who who is your audience? Who is going to be your reader? You may have heard that a whole lot. It's a very common phrase in writing education material uh, on blog posts and a lot of other places. But the reason you keep seeing it is because it's super important. Mm -hmm. And so to take that time at the beginning to, again, figure out who is who's the demographic that I'm writing to. If you can think back to when you were dating or your significant other, or if you're in that process right now, you're you're spending time and effort to figure out what are they like? What do they like? What's important to them? What are their needs? You don't mind putting in that time because you're excited about developing that relationship. And even though it's not like a one-on-one -on -one with a significant other, you are creating another important relationship with that reader. And so instead of feeling that it's drudgery, think of it as an exciting relationship that you get to develop with your readers. An exercise that I did earlier this year myself is in figuring out who my target audience is, is literally pulling pictures off of Facebook of people either that I've worked with in the past or would be similar to who I've worked with and thinking about their life and what I know that they were in the middle of or going through or needed clarify that process so much. And so that, that can help by actually putting a, a face to whoever you're, you're thinking about. What that leads you to is when you have considered your reader's needs, when you consider that audience, you, you start to go a little bit deeper. One of the things that you may start to realize is if, especially if you're writing in the self-help, if you are writing in the Christian living space, things that kind of are those big, heavier topics. You really need to consider the experiences that your readers are bringing to the table. Personal example from my own life, um, my husband and I have been dealing with infertility for almost seven years, and I have edited more than one book that has brought up infertility, but it's clear that the author wasn't experiencing that themselves and hadn't really talked to anyone or researched what that was like. I wasn't personally offended. I know that they it's not coming from a bad place, but I was able to kind of guide them and be thinking like, imagine that a reader picks this up and they're going through that. How would they be receiving your words? Perhaps you can word something a different way. You have to get outside of your own head of if someone had a different experience than me, how would they be receiving the words that I've just shared? 
I really loved what you said about being excited about developing a relationship with your reader. You may not know this person. You may not ever meet this person in person, but you still feel excited about developing a relationship with that one person. And something that I have been focusing on just recently, it ties in directly with what you've just been saying. On my podcast, when I am talking to my listener, I will often just use the word listener, like Mm -hmm. I'm talking to one person. Even though I know that more than at least I hope (laughs) one person is listening. But when I say listener, I think of somebody like you, Samantha, I think Mm -hmm. of, you know, that person I'm looking at on the screen right now, or the person whose picture from Facebook I printed out and I have sitting next to my computer, that is my ideal audience, my ideal reader, my ideal listener. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to that person in the singular, as if I'm talking directly to that one person, it really helps me to focus in on whatever writing or speaking project I might be doing because I'm paying attention to who that reader is. Right. It's a a weighty responsibility when you do publish a book or when you publish any content. If you think about just how some of your favorite books, how how long have they been around? Your books are going to stick around. And this is not just a passing conversation that you have with someone. And so when you are thinking about that one specific audience person and about the impact that your words might have on your life, like that's in a good way, but that's that's very sobering to me and very focusing. Let's move on to the third question that writers should ask when we're shaping that reader first mindset. This is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. I want authors to think about how do you want your reader to actually be different after reading your book? This is going to provide so much focus, even for each chapter. If you're writing nonfiction, for instance, that will help you outline because you can think at the end of this chapter, what do I want them to take away? How do I want them to be moving towards the overarching goal of the book? And that's how your chapters can progress. Again, that's not, this is not groundbreaking information. But when you start the process, it can feel very overwhelming. And so it's good to be reminded of those basics. And so if you keep it in mind of how do I want the reader to be different? Again, that's pulling your focus off of yourself. Yes, it's you doing the book. Yes, it's you with the idea. But the book is really not about you. It's about how do you want your reader to be different? I can think of many books that I've read over the years. I'm a, I love reading. Some of those books have impacted my life in a huge way, impacted my marriage, impacted how I serve the church. Your book has that potential. Every book has that potential. So if you take the time again to think about how do I want them to be different, that's going to keep everything focused. What is your life transforming message is the phrase that I use, because I think that whenever we read something or write something, that in some way, we want to, as you said, change or transform, help someone take the next step in transforming some area of their life, whether that's fiction or nonfiction. I have read many novels where I feel very transformed by the message that's in novels. Writing a book really is, it's a difficult artistic undertaking. And so what I hear you saying here, Samantha, with these three points that you've been making is do the legwork, do the foundational groundwork to make your impact as powerful as it can possibly be. Your book's not going anywhere after you put it out. Like it's going to be there. Some of my favorite books, some of my favorite novels have been around for over 200 years. So think about that. Mm -hmm. If your book was to be around that long, 
what kind of ripple effects is that going to have? Is it going to make an impact if it's around that long? It's, it's sobering, but it's <laughs> encouraging in a way. Yeah, I've been rereading my favorite author, Jane Austen, and reading a lot of her books and then reading all the the Jane Austen takeoff and the Pride and Prejudice takeoff and the Sense yes. and Sensibility <laughs> takeoffs and everything that I can find that's related to Jane Austen. And you know, she was living in the late 1700s and she died in the early 1800s. And mm-hmm. so her books have stood the test of time. Yes, and I think it's because she knew, she not only knew her readers so well, but she knew her characters so well too. And she made her characters seem so real. And there were so many of her characters are just hilarious. And <laughs> anyway, I could talk, I could do a whole episode on Jane Austen. So I won't get off on that topic. Oh, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Samantha, for sharing your thoughts with us today. And I am so intrigued by what you have to say that I want to invite you to come back again next week. And let's continue this conversation because what we want to do as writers is to carry that reader first mindset into the editing process as well. And as a professional editor, you can give us some great tips for how we can carry this mindset into the editing process. So we are going to be back again, Samantha, and I'll be back with you again next week to talk about carrying the reader first mindset into the editing process. So stay tuned because it'll just be like continuing this conversation with you. If we want to find out more about you and your products and services, where can we go to learn more about you? You can find me at mrshaney.com. That's M-R-S-H-A-N-N-I.com. And that's where I blog. And you can also find links to my books and the links to the version plans, I believe, are on that books page as well. And then um, there's also information about my editing services. Samantha and I will be back with you again next week. You can also find that link to Samantha's website and the other things that she was mentioning in the show notes at bloggingbistro.com. Over there, you'll also find a link where you can click to subscribe to the podcast and I will email you a notification every Monday when a new episode drops. You can also listen to the podcast via your favorite podcast listening app, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, We're now on Pandora and Amazon on music, Google Podcast, Stitcher. All you have to do is open the app and key in the professional writer. The show will pop up. You can save it to your favorite so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show, I hope you share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening and we will be back with you again next week.